So we are taking four weeks to talk about worship, worshiping God. In some ways, worship could be described as, as something we do with all of life, because if you think about it, everything we do can and should display the supremacy, the glory, the greatness of God, right? Everything we do. But what we're, we're focusing on here in these Friday mornings is, is the, the actual act of worship, where we pray in adoration of God, or where we sing and extol God, or where we speak the truth of who God is. We're, we're focusing on what we do here Friday mornings, and what we do in a part of our home groups, and what we can do in our own private times of prayer and in the study of God's word. That's what we're focusing on these four weeks. And this morning, we're going to focus on what I think is one of the most important questions about worship. How can we worship God when we are feeling very little worship in our hearts? How can we do that? Jesus said, your worship is in vain if your heart is far from me. So how can we worship God if our hearts feel far from him? That's the question. I want you to picture it like this. Picture a group of people who obviously are captured with the glory of God, the love of Christ, the, the nearness of God, and they're worshiping God, they're singing, they're praying, there's shouts of praise going on, they are feeling deeply the, the beautiful presence of God through Jesus Christ. So picture that group of people. But the problem is so often we look at our own hearts and be like, I'm really far from that. We can feel like we're miles away from that group of people, like, like they're over there and there's a big canyon between us and them because we're feeling so little of Love for God, joy in God, delight in God, and we feel like there's no way in the world I'm ever going to cross this canyon and be able to worship. That's how many of us feel, oftentimes, Friday mornings, like me, and I'm sure this is true of you as well. So the question is, how do we worship God when our hearts are feeling little worship? And I have great news for you today. You can, because God will help you. God will change your hearts by his power. That's what we're going to see this morning in Psalm chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. This is taught in lots of different passages, but this is one of the ones that I've been thinking about lately and that I wanted to share with you this morning. Psalm 43, 1 through 5. So let's read this psalm together, and I want you to be asking as we read, what situation was the author facing? Verse 1, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
So what situation is the author facing? Notice, first of all, that the author was being oppressed by evil people. Verse 1, he's talking about ungodly people and the deceitful and unjust man. Verse 2, he's talking about the oppression of the enemy. We have no idea what these people were doing to him, but we know that they were causing him trouble. Second, notice that what these people are doing to him is causing him to feel discouraged, hopeless, and far from God. Look at verse 2. He says to God, why have you rejected me? He's feeling like God has abandoned him. Verse 2 also, why do I go mourning because of my enemy? So he's sorrowful, he's grieving, he's mourning because of what these people are doing to him. Verse 5, he's speaking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So he's feeling low. He's in the pits, as we say sometimes. Verse 5, why are you in turmoil within me? You know what it's like when your heart is in turmoil. There's just this jumbled fears and bitternesses and worries and frustrations and disappointments and discouragements. Some of you, maybe your hearts are in turmoil right now. So the author of this psalm is in a hard place. People are oppressing him, and as a result, he feels hopeless, discouraged, and far from God. Now, why would God include this psalm in the Bible? It's kind of discouraging to read. Why would God include this? Why would the Holy Spirit lead the author to write this as one of Israel's worship songs that they would sing when they gather together? I think there's two reasons why, at least. I thought of two. One is because this psalm shows that godly people will feel this way from time to time. You will. I do. Right? That's one reason. And then the second reason, maybe even more important, is this psalm shows what we should do when we're feeling that far from God. What should we do? Okay, so just picture yourself. You, your alarm goes off. It's Friday morning. You wake up and you are feeling just like what this psalmist is feeling, just like what's in his heart. Far from God, you're mourning over problems, you're worried, you're fearful, you're preoccupied. What would you do at those times, Friday morning? Would you decide, you know, worship is just not going to happen today. I think I'll just take a rain check, hit it up next week, it'll be fine. Right, why go if I'm just, it's not going to be real? Stay home. Is that what you might do? You might. Uh, or maybe you'd come and just like go through the motions or pretend. You know, you know and your heart's just like, ah! Right? So what would you do? The author of the psalm doesn't do either of those. It's just so powerful what he does. He cries out to God. He prays. He seeks God's face. And what I want you to notice is what the author asks God to do. This is so encouraging. First of all, in verse 1, he asks God to do three things. Vindicate me, defend my cause, and deliver me from these wicked people. So in verse 1, he's asking God to change my circumstances, remove these problems from my life. And that's an important way to pray. I hope that when you have problems, one of the first things you do is to pray and say, God, solve this problem. Help me with this situation. I hope you do that. You do know that we should do that, right? Pray and ask God, help me. And very often, he will break in 
with his supernatural power and change the situation. Very often he'll do that. Now, there are also times when he does not do that. When, because of his love and mercy, he chooses to let the problem stay because he loves us so much and because through that problem he's going to bring us even more joy in him than we would have had with the problem gone. But he always wants us to pray and ask God, help me solve this problem, take care of this problem. That's what the author does in verse 1. But that does not seem to be the author's main focus of prayer. Because in verses 3 through 4, it looks like he shifts from asking God to change his circumstances to asking God to help him worship. I want you to see this. Read verses 3 and 4 and notice what he asks God to do and how he expects God to answer. Verse 3, he prays, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. So verse 3, he asks God to have his light and his truth lead him to God's holy hill and God's dwelling. And that's a description of the temple at Jerusalem where God's people gathered to worship. So he's saying, lead me to worship. Send out your light and truth, change my heart so I'll be able to worship. Verse four, he knows that God is gonna answer that prayer, so he will go to the altar of God. Now what is the altar? Again, it's part of the temple where God's people would bring sacrifices and offer them on the altar, sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving, a sin offering before the Lord. In other words, it's another description of worship. So he's saying, then I will go to the altar. I will worship you. And he knows that God's going to answer that prayer, verse 4. So he will go to God who is his exceeding joy. I love that. He's mourning. He's downcast. He's in turmoil. I know, God, you're going to change my heart, and I'm going to go to you and experience you as my exceeding joy. The joy supreme over all my joys. The best joy I've ever felt and tasted and beheld is you. I know I'm going to experience that because God's going to change my heart. So he shifts focus from praying about his circumstances. That's important to do. Don't stop doing that. But he shifts then in verses 3 and 4 to praying, God, help me to worship. And I think one of the reasons he does this is he sees he's got a bigger problem than the problem with these evil people. He's got a problem of unbelief in his heart. Change my heart. I'm not seeing you. I'm not feeling you. I'm feeling far from you. Help me. So, church, should we pray about God changing our circumstances? Yes. But let's be sure that we put a priority on asking God to change our hearts when they're full of unbelief, which we do battle, all of us, all the time. Verses 3 and 4 are all about worship. In verse 3, he says to God, help me worship in four, he states his confidence that you will help me to worship. Now, I, I want you to feel how shocking this request is. Because you, if you're anything like me, when your heart is feeling hopeless, you think that reality is hopeless. Right? Okay, you're not, you're not getting this yet. It, when your heart is feeling fearful, you're thinking, there's something I should be afraid of. That's, that's reality out there, right? 
When your heart is feeling rejected by God, you think, God's rejected me. The way we feel seems insurmountable. It seems impossible to change. It seems like reality that we're just stuck with. Anybody else feel that way like I do? Okay, just, just a few of you are being honest. The rest of you, think about it. And so what I want you to see is what a shocking request this is by showing you the dramatic change between the way he's feeling when he writes this psalm and the way what he describes God will do for him as he prays. So it's made a little table here, like before and after. On the left-hand side, what's he feeling as he writes? What's he feeling as he writes? Verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Verse 2. Verse 5. Why are you cast down? Also verse 5. Why are you in turmoil? That's what he's feeling as he writes. So can you feel how intense that is? Can you see that? It's very depressing to read about, right? Now, his heart's far from worship. He feels like it's an impossibly wide canyon between him and, and having a heart that's worshiping. But he knows what God has promised to do, so he prays. And look at what he's confident God will do, right-hand column. What's he confident God will do? Verse 4, even though I feel rejected, I am mourning, I'm cast down, I'm in turmoil, I know that God, you will cause me to go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Exceeding joy joy is coming. Not just pretending about exceeding joy, but exceeding joy. Not exceeding joy just in my circumstances, but exceeding joy in God, in beholding God. Verse 4, I will praise you with the lyre. You will so show me your glory, so change my heart that I love you, I adore you, I praise you. That's verse 4. Verse 5, I shall again Praise him, my salvation and my God. So look at these, this before picture on the left and the after picture on the right. And what this should teach us is that no matter how far from God you are feeling, God promises that he can and will change your heart, bring you into his presence, fill you with joy in beholding him. He promises that. Now, one big question some of us might have, and it's good for all of us to review, and that is, how can God do such an amazing thing for people who don't deserve this from him? We've, we've all sinned against God. We all have times where we feel very far from God. There's all, we all have remnants of unbelief in our hearts. How can God do something this gracious and glorious? I mean, this is life-changing. If you understand that the God of the Bible promises that he can change your hearts, that when you're feeling downcast, he can change your heart. When you're feeling mournful or grieving, he can change your heart. When you're feeling like God has rejected you, he can bring you into his presence where you're feeling exceeding joy in him. This is life-changing in terms of how you deal with your emotional life, doesn't it? It's an amazing thing. But how can we be confident that God will do that for us who are sinful people? And the answer is Jesus Christ. The whole Testament points ahead to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies about the Messiah coming, and when he came, this is amazing to ponder, he, Jesus Christ, who was and is fully God, lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself to become a man, and not just lowered himself to become a man, but went to the cross and suffered 
horrifying pain. So there's God hanging on the cross, showing such mercy, such compassion, such love, paying for the sins of all who will put their trust in him. And so because you are trusting Jesus Christ, you're forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future. And whenever you turn to God and say help, he's running towards you with all the help you need. He's marshalling all the resources, ready to pour out mercy and compassion on you. But I just want you to see the love of God displayed in Jesus' death on the cross, that God would come to earth, that God would die on the cross to pay for our sins. Look at the love of God. Look at the love of God displayed in Jesus, our Savior. And if you're not trusting Christ yet, I just I pray that right now, my weak description of that, I wish I could do it more powerfully, but that God would make it powerful and would grip your heart with the fact that this is real. He is real. He is true. I need him. I trust him because you will leave here forgiven and, and knowing God is your exceeding joy. That's how God can do this. But I want you to see from this chart the dramatic change. Emotional change feels impossible most of the time. It is completely possible by God's power. So how does God do this? How does he change our hearts so we can worship? And the answer is in verse 3. Read that verse again. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So God changes our hearts, enables us to worship by sending out his light and his truth. Now, what kind of light and truth does he send out? And how does he send it out? And I found the answer to that in a verse in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. So helpful. In this verse, Paul is talking about what God does when he saves us. Before we were saved, all of us were blinded, spiritually blinded, from the beauty and the reality of God in Christ, blinded by our unbelief and by Satan's power. We were all spiritually blind. But look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, what God does when he saves us. Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Just pause there. Paul's talking about Genesis chapter 1, when there was, everything was dark, and God said, Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God didn't need any precursors to it. He just spoke into the darkness and Instantly light appeared. That's what God does in our sin-darkened hearts. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light, there's light, right? See the word light? To give the light of the knowledge, that's like truth back in Psalm 43, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when God saved you, here's what happened. Somewhere, somehow, you heard the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead, that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Somewhere you heard that news, and God brought his power upon you at some point in your life, and 
He showed you, he set you free from your, your, your spiritual blindness, and he shined into your heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And for the first time, you saw the reality of Jesus, you felt the truth of Jesus, you saw the beauty and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. You knew that you were a sinner who needed to be forgiven. You wanted to be forgiven and reconciled to this beautiful God more than anything else in the world. And so you turned from your sin, you trusted Jesus, and you were saved, and that changed everything. Everything changed in your life. And that's the picture of what happens when God saves you. So that's the kind of light and truth that God sends and that's how he sends it into our hearts. But this doesn't stop at the point of conversion. It doesn't just happen at salvation and then stop. And the reason is that even though we are saved, we still have in indwelling sin in our hearts, and that indwelling sin can blind us, it can dim our spiritual vision and dull our spiritual vision, right? We, we all experience this. There's times where I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. Well, sin, unbelief. John Piper says it's, it's like, um, like, you know, old people get cataracts, they grow over their eyes and d dim their vision and dull their vision, right? You know, you've heard of cataracts. And sin is like a spiritual cataract which grows over the eyes of our hearts, dimming our ability to see the glory of God in Christ dulling our vision, making it out of focus, making it bleary so we can't see it as clearly anymore. And that's why Paul prays what he does in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He's praying for those who have already put their trust in Christ, who've already been saved, who've already had the light of God's glory shining into their hearts, but look at what he prays for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, there's light, see that? So that you will know, there's the truth, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul is praying here for people who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ and been saved, but he knows that we saved people regularly need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened because sin and trials and just weariness can dull and dim our vision of God's glory in Christ. I kind of got the impression, it's like God is an ophthalmologist, okay? And, and, and you go to him and you say, I'm having a hard time seeing this morning. And he says, well, I'm, I'm an ophthalmologist, so let me just, let me, the cataracts are back, okay? He cuts those cataracts out, and all of a sudden, oh, yes, I can see, thank you. That's what God does. Don't say, oh, just I'm having a hard time seeing. I guess, I guess I'm not really supposed to be worshiping today. I, I must just, I'll just go and do something else, or I must not be a very good Christian. No, God, help me. You're the ophthalmologist. I've got, the cataracts are back. Help me. And he will send out his light. He will send out his truth. He will cut away those cataracts, and once again, you will see. Now, let's take that back to Psalm 43. That's what the author is asking God to do in chapter 43, verse 3. And then look at what he knows will happen in verse 4. So verse, th verse 3, send out your light and your truth. There it is right there. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Open our eyes 
Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So verse 3 is the prayer. And then verse 4, he says what he knows God will do. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. This is so powerful. Let me give you an example of this from the life of Sarah Edwards. Sarah Edwards was married to Jonathan Edwards. This is back 1700s. Jonathan Edwards was a missionary to the American Indians. And listen to how she experiences God enlightening the eyes of her heart, sending forth his light and his truth. Here's the setting. She had decided to take some time and pray, just seek God, seek the Lord, and so she went to a private place and she opened up her Bible and she wanted to read over the last part of Romans chapter 8 to help her really meet the Lord. And the last part of Romans 8 explains how nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So she's praying over that scripture. She's reading that scripture. She's thinking about that scripture. She's praying, maybe send forth your light and your truth. Let them bring me to your holy hill. And here's what she wrote in her journal about what happened. The words of Romans 8 appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God and as words which God did pronounce concerning me. I cannot find language to express how certain this appeared. The everlasting mountains and hills were but shadows in comparison. In other words, she was looking at mountains around her, and as real as those mountains look, those mountains are shadows compared to the reality of God's love for me in Jesus Christ. That's real. That's certain. That's what it's all about. She goes on. My safety and happiness and eternal enjoyment of God's unchanging love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God himself. Melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears and could not stop weeping aloud. It seemed certain to me that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, that he was mine and I his The presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. God has sent forth his light. He helped her feel the truth of God's love for her in Christ. And God did this by sending out his truth, helping her understand the truth of God's unchanging love for her in Christ. And as a result, She worshiped. She worshiped God. That's what's going on in Psalm chapter 43. When we pray, send out your light and your truth, we can be absolutely confident that God will cut away the cataracts. He will enlighten the eyes of our hearts. He will help us to see the truth of Jesus more clearly and feel the truth of Jesus more deeply, and we will worship. That's what Psalm 43, 3 and 4 taken together teach us. But now, there's a possible misunderstanding that I think the psalmist wants to correct. 
We could think that we come in here on a Friday morning and we, we pray, send out your light, send out your truth, help me to worship, and then we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and that's not what the psalmist is thinking that we should be doing. Good that we prayed, send out your light, send out your truth, but there's something else crucial that he does. It's in verse five. What else does the author do? And if you read Psalm 43 carefully, you'll notice that verses one through four, he's talking to God, and in verse five, he's talking to himself. Look at what he says. Well, verse one, you see he's talking to, talking to God. Vindicate me, O God, you are the God in whom I take refuge, verse two. Verse three, send out your light and your truth. Verse four, I will praise you with the liar. So verses one through four, he's talking to God. Verse five, he's talking to himself. Look at what he says. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's talking to himself in verses, verse five, and he says three things. Really important to understand, because this is also part of what we need to be doing as we move into worship. First of all, he's telling himself that his hopeless feelings are not true. Did you catch that? Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? The answer is, there's no good reason. Not you don't, because you don't have any problems, you do. But because if you're feeling hopeless and in turmoil, you're not understanding who God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in the UK for many years, and he wrote a very good book on, on Christian depression, its causes and cures, not Christian depression, spiritual depression, its causes and cures. He said one of our biggest problems as followers of Jesus is that we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. We spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time taking ourselves seriously and say, listen, why are you feeling so hopeless? Why are you in turmoil? You have no good reason. Think about who God is. Look at who God is. And you start to remind yourself about who God is, which is the next thing he does. He tells himself to hope in God. Because we need to tell ourselves those hopeless feelings, that's not the truth. Those feelings of being far from God, that's not the truth. Those fearful, worried feelings, those are not the truth. Hope in God. And what that means is that we are setting our hearts on the truth of who God is as revealed in Jesus. So often our minds are just kind of floating, floating like, you know, floating like jellyfish. Just think of this, think about this. But we need to hope in God. Take your mind and set it on the truth of who God is as revealed in Jesus and look at it and think about it and say, send out your light, send out your truth, open my eyes, help me to see the truth of this, help me to feel the truth of this. That's what we need to be doing as we're moving into worship. So when we are singing songs that are full of biblical truth, don't just be like, man, I, I love that me the melody of this one, you know, and just, mm -hmm. no, we, we, we do love the melody, but think about the words. The whole point of the music is to help us see the truth of who God is. So set your mind on the truth that we're singing about. Ah, oh, like this morning, power in hand. 
speaking the Father's plan. He's sending us out into this broken land. You're you're thinking about that. Yes, you came. You taught us the truth about God. Yes, you're sending us out. So you, you set your heart on the truth. As Kristen read Psalm 145 earlier this morning, you're looking at those words. You're like, yes, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. You're, you're, you're setting your hope, you're setting your heart on those words as we're singing, as scriptures are read, as people are praying. Pray with them. Yes, Lord. Yes, that's true. Yes. Oh, help me to see this more clearly. So we're hoping in God, setting our heart on God, on his truth, on his promises. I know you're going to meet me. I know you're going to bring me to your holy hill. I'm going to go to God, my exceeding joy. So the first thing we're doing is we are telling ourselves that our hopeless feelings are not the truth. The second thing is we are hoping in God. And then third, we encourage ourselves that God will help us worship. End of verse 5, he says, I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, notice how confident he is. Not, I hope I will again praise him, or maybe I will again praise him, but I will again praise him. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling far from God. I'm grieving. I'm sorrowful. I will again praise him, though, because God has promised to change our hearts. When we pray, when we preach the truth to ourselves, when we come into his presence, I will again praise him. So Grace Church, no matter how hopeless you feel or fearful or worried or on another side, if the most important thing in your heart is this upcoming vacation, you're so excited about that, like, God, oh yeah, who, where's God? I forgot where God was. I mean, right, whatever, no matter how far from worship you're feeling, God will change your heart as you humble yourself before him. Send out your light, send out your truth. Fuller, those distracted thoughts, those worried thoughts, those are not the truth. Set your hope in God, set your heart upon the truth of who he is and all he's promised to do. And be confident he will enable you to worship him. Now let me give you six implications of what this means for our worship. And then we're going to take some time and and worship the Lord right here. First, be honest about what's happening in your heart. Tell God what's happening in your heart. I'm feeling far from you, Father. I'm totally distracted by the possibility of this promotion. I'm so excited about it. I'm, I'm more excited about that than about you right now. Forgive me. Help me. Be honest with God about what's going on in your heart. Secondly, don't skip worship when you're feeling far from God because God will change your heart as you seek his face. Third, understand that God will help us worship. No matter how you're feeling, he promises to do that. So fourth, then pray and ask God. Send out your light. Send out your truth. Fifth, Set our hearts on the truth of who God is in Christ. Hope in God. Set your heart upon those truths. Trust those truths of who God is in Christ. And then sixth, be confident that as we seek him, he will give us everything that we need. Now let's stand. I want to pray, and I want you to pray with me. God, send out your light and your truth right now this morning as we move into Worship. Come and do what you've described in this passage. I'll pray this for us. It is a beautiful truth, Father, 
that because of Jesus paying for our sins on the cross, by faith in Christ alone, you promise us that when we come to you and say, send out your light and your truth, when we set our hearts upon the truth of who you are, when we seek your face, you will change our hearts. You will cut away those cataracts of sin. You will show us your glory. You will enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And so we pray right now, right now, Lord, for Grace Church, send out your light and your truth here in this place. Lord, I pray for those who are right now struggling with hopelessness. Lord, that you would show them your glory, that hope would be birthed in their hearts. Those who are just simply feeling nothing towards you, Lord, that, that you by your power would break through and show them your beauty so that their hearts just melt in joy and love and adoration to you. Lord, those who are much more excited about something else besides you right now, Lord, that you would show them the emptiness of that, the temporariness of that, and the far superior glory and beauty of you in Christ so that they would see you, feel you as their exceeding joy. Lord, touch all of us now, we pray. Send out your light and your truth for our joy and for your glory.